Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Music, Money, and Life podcast. This is the fourth and final installment of Sync Licensing Frequently Asked Questions. Before we get started, if you're interested in getting a completely free four-hour audio and video course all about how to make money licensing your music in television shows, films, ads, and more, head over to htlympremium.com. That's H-T-L-Y-M, as in how to license your music, premium.com. When you go to the homepage, if you scroll about halfway down, there's a link to, again, a completely free four-hour audio and video course. Okay, in the first segment today, I'm speaking with music supervisor David Hyman from the music supervision company Supergroup, and I'm speaking to David about the, the difference between what it's like when you're an artist versus a composer when it comes to pitching your music directly to music supervisors. So an artist who releases albums, tours, writes songs from the heart, releases albums versus someone who maybe is writing music specifically for music libraries when it comes to pitching directly to music supervisors like David. And also we address the question of, of how established you actually need to be to reach out to music supervisors like David. This is what David had to say. Interesting. So when you say album tracks as opposed to library tracks, it sounds like what you're saying is artists that that have are, are developing a brand that have that do albums as opposed to just cranking out library music. Are you looking for artists? Like how important is it that, that artists are actually establishing themselves as bona fide artists as opposed to just composers that are cranking out dozens of, of tracks a month? Um, to us, that is why clients are coming to us. Okay. So we're looking to continue the story. And uh, there have been a couple times where we have used a, um, let's say, a writer, a professional songwriter type that records music and records music perfectly. And it's a sound alike to something, but you can't put your finger on it because it sounds like every Beatles song and it's perfect. Um, and it works great for the spot. And then the conversation ends once it's online. Um, actually the conversation doesn't end. They want to be paid ASAP. Um, they don't want to have any part of the conversation. They don't want to create even a band to link it out to, um, you know, we like the conversation to continue and that's what we're selling to the brands we work with is that, um, there's a potential for earned media and often we can leverage the band into different spaces, um, with, you know, extra content that's created for internet uh, right now with the car companies we're working with we're, we're working with uh, mobile companies they're all doing stories on the internet so we like to bring the artists into those stories or at least their music um, so having a connection that goes beyond and creates a depth to the branding um, is very important nowadays it's become more important the last three years yeah that's what i've been hearing that more and more that it's really important that bands and artists are actually sort of establishing themse themselves as bona fide artists um what like what level do bands and artists that you work with like where do they need to be in in their careers what can you kind of tell us specifically oh, yeah. what, what you're looking for for sure i mean I, we're absolutely looking for you know the next best thing to the weekend and like people that are popping off of record labels that are pushing us daily and you know we just did a huge license with alicia cara who's you know 
on Saturday Night Live. She's a Canadian ambassador, so to speak, from our vantage point, and she's a star. But I get the, my biggest kicks out of licensing uh, albums that nobody's ever heard, uh, licensing bands that are totally under the radar, not bands that have been out for 10 years and been trying to do it under the radar, but bands that are totally just emerging and have very few you know, friends and likes on their pages, but their music's amazing. They fit into a, a scene. They're actively playing with other bands in that scene. And we we get those people into films with those bigger bands they're playing with as a compliment to it and to flush it out creatively. Um, so I enjoy actually licensing stuff that nobody's really heard yet. Um, that's where I get my most excitement from. And, you know, we may, you know, truth be told, we, we, we do our big licenses, you know, with let's say three or four quarter. Uh, and those are bigger songs to going to popular artists. But we're doing, you know, 30 to 40 licenses during that uh, quarter for independent artists. So there's a lot more action happening with the independent artists that don't have the traction, the leverage, the you know proof of fans that other major label established artists have <laughs> garnished or created for themselves. Okay. In the next segment, I'm speaking with uh, music supervisor, Ashley Neumeister from the company True Pro. And Ashley is discussing what the process of selecting music is like for music supervisors like like Ashley, the process that she goes through when she selects music for projects that she's working on, and also how you as an artist can get your music directly to music supervisors. This is what Ashley had to say. And then when it gets into choosing music for a project that I'm working on, you know, it's there's a couple of different things that come into play, but typically, you know, it's all depends on the storyline and, you know, where it takes place. You know, for instance, I work on the quad and it takes place in Atlanta at a historically black university. So it's a lot of music playing in the dorm rooms, out at clubs. It's all a majority of like hip hop music, especially if the artists are from Atlanta or have that kind of sound. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, you know, lots of, it's a drama, so there's lots of heart-touching moments, and um, so we'll use songs that play more of, like, almost like montage over those kinds of moments. But yeah. ultimately, you know, it's really what the director the shoot, and the showrunner, and TV is more the showrunner, um, they have the ultimate say, and so you know, we get together and talk about her vision for the music. And then I go out and find music that fits within that and make suggestions. And then ultimately it's her decision to choose which one we go with. Interesting. And when you have your supervisor music hat on, when you're working as a music supervisor, do you find music through your own catalog or are you getting music from multiple sources? Multiple. So the catalog is one avenue. And then, you know, I'm from the range of, major labels and publishers to other small libraries like true music. So a little bit of everything. Gotcha. And what do you recommend in terms of artists trying to get their music to someone like you? Do you work directly with artists at all or or does it make more sense for artists to work with libraries like true music pro to ultimately get to music supervisors? It's a combination. um, And every music supervisor is different. Um, but I can see for myself is, um, I just, because in TV things move so fast and the schedule 
you know, is very demanding as far as like getting songs cleared. So if I don't already have a relationship with you or with the catalog that you're a part of, I have a hesitant, I'm more hesitant to use the music um, just because it really is about knowing that it's going to clear easy, you know, and fast. Yeah. So I, it's, it's of benefit for sure for artists to get their music into catalogs. And I would even say like multiple, you know, um, when you're starting out, if, unless you have like a really amazing relationship with one catalog and you're giving them all your music, which is fine, you know, that mm-hmm. works too. Um, it serves the artist to do a bit of research, you know, and see the different kinds of deals the catalogs are offering as well as, you know, some like true music is very heavy in TV, you know, and some other catalogs do a lot of placements in film or advertisement or whatever, you know, and so it would serve the artist to ask the catalogs, you know, like where do you get the majority of your placements? Yeah. And maybe, you know, getting one catalog, five songs and then another catalog, a different five songs, um, which is always good. But I do definitely get contacted a lot by the individual artist and Mm -hmm. I listen to that music and I definitely, um, you know, have gotten artist placements from direct, but I would say the vast majority are from catalogs and publishers. Got you. And can you speak a, a little bit, Ashley, to the amount of competition when it comes to trying to get placements? I was speaking with someone else that I interviewed for my, my podcast a couple of days ago. It's a owner of a pretty big catalog in, in LA. And she, she, she mentioned that, you know, there's, certain top supervisors that get as many as like a thousand submissions a, a day. Are, are you seeing, are you just inundated on a daily basis? I'm really curious just how much music is being sent to you. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Not quite a thousand, but um, just because, you know, we have all of the major labels and publishers and other catalogs and individual artists, you know, all at the same time sending music. So it's definitely a lot. And, you know, I actually don't have that much time to listen to music (laughs) in my job, you know. So it's like most things in the industry about relationships, you know. And, you know, I would say once I find a source that I can trust and know that they're going to get me what I'm looking for, because that's the other thing is like, if people are sending me a bunch of country music or singer songwriter or something, and right now the show I'm on is hip hop and dance music, it's like, I'm not going to listen to that music, you know, until I'm probably done working on the show, to be honest, because I'm just so focused on finding what I need for the project that I'm on. Yeah. So I would say the best way of getting your music heard would be to find out what supervisors are working on at that time and send them music that would only fit their project. That makes sense. So if you're going to approach someone like yourself, find out what you're working on, find out what your actual needs are before you just blindly submit your music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. In the next segment, I'm speaking with music supervisor, Daryl Berg. And Daryl is addressing the question of how do you know what kind of music to write when you're pitching to music supervisors? Should you be writing with specific ideas in mind? Should you be writing with specific styles or themes in mind? This is what Daryl had to say regarding that question. 
So obviously one of the challenges for, for writers and artists that are trying to break into this space is figuring out what to write and, and how to approach songwriting in terms of what might work for licensing. Do you, do you think it makes sense to sort of think about licensing as a songwriter no. or do you think it's better no. just to write music that you're inspired to write? I think, I, I think that it's better to write what you're soulful about and write what you're passionate about. And if it works, it works. I think if you're trying to fit a round peg into a square hole, I think that, you know, unless you're writing for a library, right? If your job is to write for a music library and you need thrones and you need up-tempo pop and you need mid-tempo acoustic ballads and all that, and that's your job, that's fine. But if you're a working singer-songwriter or a working artist, write what, you, write what you're going to write and let the world find you. Don't write, you know, don't write because, you, you know, you're a writer because it's a passion and, and because you it's an emotion and because you feel something inside of you and, and don't write what's in some, inside of somebody else, write what's inside of you. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because overwhelmingly the sort of unanimous consensus from people I interview is exactly what you're saying, just to write w what you write. And it's interesting though because like when I started in licensing way back in 2002, 2003, my publisher at the time sent me this list of like here's a sort of list of criteria of what works for licensing and different things like, you know, no long intros, uh, really strong hooks. So I think it's important to sort of be mindful of how music is used in the context of licensed, licensing, but it seems like everybody is saying exactly what you're saying, just right from, from the heart. It's all about music after all. Because we're a music fan. I mean, maybe you're not a music fan. Maybe you just think music supervision is cool. I don't know. I hope not. I hope there's not people like that in the business, but I'm sure there are. But, you know, we're music fans. At the end of the day, we want to hear something. You know, we fell in love with music because it was somebody else's vision, not what we our vision. You yeah. know, if it were our vision, we'd all be much better songwriters. Yeah, no, for sure. That that makes total total sense. Are you I'm curious, did you start as a musician? Like, what is your background? What drew you to working in this field? Um. Sorry. Uh, what drew me to I, I'm the, you know, I'm a music nerd. I, I, I'm a terrible guitarist. I was a terrible various woodwinds player in high school. Um, and I, I just, you know, I bang around on the guitar, but I don't have the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours patience to actually get good at it. So, you know, I, I can impress somebody who's never seen anybody play guitar before. But other than that, I got nothing. So, you know, I'm just a passionate about music, you know, from the time I was, you know, very, very young, music always connected with me. And then, you know, when I was 15 years old and I discovered punk rock and indie rock and, 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 and certain types of American music, it just stuck with me. And, and, and it's not necessarily that I'm, you know, passionate about getting music cleared. I'm passionate about music. And that's led me to being involved with music in a very specific way. Um, but, you know, I always say music's the girlfriend who never left, but then that makes me sound like a sad sack, which isn't true. It's just a good catch. It's just a good quote. In the next segment, I'm speaking with Heather Gardner from the company Vapor Music. And in this segment, Heather is addressing the question of how much does music licensed into ad campaigns pay? There's a pretty wide variety, but I get this question a lot. And, and Heather breaks down and, and gives us some very specific numbers. Heather, let me ask you this question. Can you sort of, and, and I have an idea just based on my own experience and different people that I've interviewed, but can you kind of give us an idea of what different types of, and again, because I have a really good idea for TV and film, like I said, I've really focused on that, but what do different types of ad campaigns um, pay? What are, what are sort of the pay range, ranges for different types of ad projects that you've worked on? 
really varies, and it varies based on the terms that somebody is asking for. It varies based on how long they want to use it for, and it varies based on the brand. Your Coca-Cola is going to generally have more money to give than a local brand who's doing a commercial. So you could be looking in the couple thousand dollar range, but if you're a big, big name artist who's licensing something for a very long time, worldwide, perpetuity, or even worldwide a year, you can be looking into the millions of dollars potentially. So that's, I mean, not something that's generally a number that an indie artist would ever get close to, but I think depending, it really does depend, and that's it's so hard to give an answer as to how much it goes for because there's not a going rate. It's kind of a, here's our budget, Let's work back. Here's what we have for music. And you could have three different commercial commercials for the same band, and they could all have very different, or not band, brand, sorry, and have very different budgets. Interesting. What what about what about for, like, an, an indie artist who isn't a, a super established artist? Let's say they're doing really well regional in, in maybe L.A. or Chicago or New York. They're not necessarily touring, but they're doing shows, and they've got a bit of buzz, different blogs are writing about them, what could sort of be an anticipated, and I hate to put you on the spot, but I just want to kind of give people an idea, what what would be sort of a best case scenario for a, a major ad spot? I mean, I would kind of anticipate anything from a few thousand dollars to a few tens of thousands of dollars. If you're, If you have some buzz around you, if you're somebody who has a story, has some clout to negotiate a little bit, but it really does come down to what the budget for the spot is. And oftentimes we are working with a very set amount and we would love to give that to an indie artist, but we aren't always given that option. So it just, it really comes down to the budget that we're given. But if you're fairly independent, but somewhat known at least within a certain territory, or you have someone working on your behalf who is able to negotiate on your behalf, uh, maybe twenty to thirty thousand, and that's me thinking for a Canadian campaign. So your numbers would be different if you were in the states or if you were regional. But a Canada national campaign, which is normally what we would work on for pretty broad terms, that's kind of the most you would likely be looking at. Probably lower than that as an indie artist. In the next segment, I'm speaking with Suzanne Hillary from the music licensing company Wackbiz. And in this segment, Suzanne is discussing the fast-paced nature of the sync licensing business. I think it's important to keep in mind that in licensing, things move very quickly in terms of, of music being selected for projects and why you need to have all your ducks in a row, so to speak, before you before you start pitching your music and placing your music with libraries. This is what Suzanne had to say. Do they tend to just bring complete finished ideas to you or are they writing with specific goals and, and specific uh, places in mind? Well, you know, it, it, it used to be really specific and have a lot of lead time and everything else. Now I'm finding, uh, you know, again, and being very honest, it's very competitive and, it, and it's it's not as busy as it used to be, really, in all honesty. Um, have, I find that it's the 11th hour. It's like it, having everything complete, mixed, mastered, finished. We don't really have time to um, go out and create. Uh, composers come to me all the time, and, and it's just that's even harder because there are, 
you know, in Hollywood, of course, those main companies that manage comp- composers like the Howard Shores of the world and things like that. There are, there's a, you know, so so I'm fine, even though like WACBiz started off as a writers and artists cooperative. It's a cooperative writers, artists, and composers. Um, it's it's you know, I guess I'll do instrumental sort of a composer type placements, but it, but that even has become more and more competitive um, as well. I don't know if I'm answering the question right, but um, just just to be <laughs> clear about that, but I would say right now our forte is really having mixed mastered finished uh, material that is available, you know, and 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 also that I know I can license it, you know, within 24 hours. I could come back and say I've gone over this with the client, um, the, the composer, writer, uh, or the producer, whoever the tracks have come from, um, and make sure that yes, that these monies and this usage is amenable to everybody. So you know, I'd like to say you know, in my business right now, it, it's really the finished product. It's not really writing specifically for anything, and it's if it's for specifically for something um, through our database, I can query by you know if they're looking for something about you know apples or something about diamonds or something about candy. You know, I I could come up and find you know a, a list of songs uh, with that in 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 the hook and and try to go at it like that. Um, so to be honest, um, I'm not really um, working uh, out front enough on any project that I'd have time to go and give all the specs to somebody to come up with something specific. In the final segment of today's podcast, I'm speaking with Chip Miller from Desert Cam Studios. And Chip is discussing why artists should be focusing on licensing. This probably is sort of obvious and goes without saying, but it's a good reminder that that licensing is a, is a really important part of the music business. It's, it's become more and more so a really important way to monetize music. And this is what Chip had to say about why artists should be focusing on music licensing. So one of the interesting things, like one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this podcast is you emailed me and said that, you know, you have experience in licensing both as a songwriter, as a musician, and also on the filmmaking side of things. So I I wondered sort of what you could sort of share with us in regards to licensing both as a songwriter and what you're doing now involved, you know, as it relates to Desert Cam. Sure. Uh, Individually, uh, as far as my own work goes and the work of my band, um, as we all painfully know, uh, the way most musicians and songwriters stay alive today, unfortunately, is not the old way of just like selling songs and selling records, but is unfortunately licensing and commercializing them. And uh, so it's a kind of a it's a it's a necessary evil. Um, it's like licensing is the is the breadwinner now for for songwriters and bands, but yet it's also terrible to hear like a great song and a month later, you know, it's a song for a, a Tampax commercial. But it is the way it is, and it's been getting that way more and more and more. So licensing has become the uh, kind of line for songwriters. Like I get songwriters sometimes send me their material, and they're not even looking for record deals. They're just looking for light. They just want to sell it and get it on a commercial and make yeah. some money. And the money's good. The money's excellent. I mean, I've, I've positioned a few uh, artists here and there, with, put their work in a movie or a TV spot or a commercial, and price they're still living off of money. So the money is excellent. Uh, it's just that you have to face as a songwriter what what does your song mean to you? Is it for commercial purposes or are you trying to get it heard artistically? 
So as a songwriter, I wrestle with that all the time. There are some songs and some things I would never in a million years want to exploit in a commercial way and hear it in a car commercial or something. Yeah. And then there's other songs that I've written that are very commercial that have been licensed for things, and I, I don't mind it. It's almost like my the filler songs. But when it comes to other people's material, one of the things we do at Desert Camp Studios is I have a music supervisor, Daniel Pomeroy, that has been in the business for about 20 years, and he's done probably 34 movies, and he's now with us. And so what he does, along with my assistants, and when I'm when I have time to, because I also direct and produce, I don't often have a lot of time to do my own licensing anymore. But he's always looking basically for stuff that could be placed, uh, has an original originality to it, a uniqueness to it that can be placed in any form of genre, from commercials to documentary to feature films uh, to uh, Netflix the online type films. And it's a great market for it. The, you know, the range of uh, prices goes from one scale to another, but it's a terrific, terrific market. And we're always looking at new writers, always taking in new material. And one of the things, unfortunately, that we find is that a lot of writers, a lot of songwriters today, are instead of just following their own nose and their own instinct, they're trying to write like other people. They're trying to make a song like some something they like. Here's a song that's just like Billy Joel. Or here's a song that's just like Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Or this, and that's... If we wanted that, we'd be looking for it. So I try to tell a lot of writers, don't try to write like somebody else just because they got a big hit. You write your own. Because yeah. unfortunately, you know, yeah, but it's, you know, we're not looking for sound-alikes. But I just find that unfortunately in this day and age that we get a lot of that because there's so many people eager beaver to get their stuff licensed. So we get a lot of stuff thrown in us, a lot of glut. But it's a, it's a very interesting business, the sinking business and the licensing business, how it works and and I'll give you one example, then I'll turn it back over to you for any more questions. Is sure. We do a lot of stuff for PBS television. We do a lot of concerts for PBS and for HBO and stuff. So we did one, for instance, about a year ago with Mark Anthony, and, which I directed. And then we just finished one that's airing on the air right now uh, about the Kingston Trio. I don't know if you remember the Kingston Trio. Sure. Down your head, Tom Dooley guys. Yeah. yeah well, sure. it's an all-star tribute to them. So we've got all these other acts in the show. We've got one of the Beach Boys, uh, Timothy the Eagles is in the show. So it's like 10 guest stars in this big celebration. When we went to set it all up at PBS, then the licensing kicks in. And the licensing, uh, the the education you get dealing with licensing is just amazing. Because we were looking at 15 songs. And some of the songs are brand new. Some of the songs were big hits for big folk songs back in the 50s. Some public domain songs that a lot of folk singers used to do back then, just pick up an old English tune and, you know, it's public domain and knock that out. And then some are like uh, odd songs that you have no idea who wrote it until you start getting into the licensing process. And that you really need a music supervisor for because it is one of the most complicated uh, forms in the business that I can think of because of all the publishing alone. Uh, an example would be we went to look to see who wrote Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley. Mm-hmm. We first went into it thinking it was a Kingston Trio song, but they wrote it. Well, it turns out it's not. Some other guy wrote it back in 1938, but then he died, turned it over to Capitol, and Capitol Records turned it over to Northern Song, and Northern Songs turned it over to BMI. So you track this, this one song and find it's been through like in 50 years through you know 10 different publishing companies and and all of that has to be taken into consideration when you license a song because that thing's on the air and there's some guy in Oki, Finoki, Indiana who owns 2% of that song and we just didn't see it. Uh, he could literally cease and desist the entire program until it's settled. Yeah. So it's a really, 
very, very, very technical side of the business. And it's getting more and more technical because it's so easy to find out things now digitally and online than you were before. You know, you couldn't find out something in the past. If it wasn't an encyclopedia, you went, all right, put it on the air. But now, you know, anything could be double-checked and triple-checked. So it's a very, very involved process. Yeah, so on one hand, it's probably easier in the sense that you can look things up, but at the same time, all the information is there, so you have to really make sure all your ducks ducks are in a row when it comes to licensing That's music. Correct. Yeah.